As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike Trout is coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Also, check out the Athletic Baseball Show. We're all about giving you great baseball talk all week long and every Tuesday. That means us. <laughs> I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for the Athletic, and I'm joined once again by my good friend, writer, broadcaster. Professor, distinguished former major leaguer Doug Glanville. Doug, I hope you and the family had a fun, festive holiday weekend. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of reminiscing about the many July 4th playing baseball, watching the fireworks, concerts, you know, Huey Lewis and New Fleetwood Mac, you know, whoever. We just partied everywhere from Iowa to Mayaguez, <laughs> Puerto Rico, wherever we were. So good, good memories. <laughs> Sounds like a good plan. Yeah. Um, uh, all right, got to mention some quick things before we bring in our mid-season roundtable crew of Ken Rosenthal and Eno Saris to look back on the first half and preview the trade deadline and the second half. All right, first thing, Doug. Yeah. Starkville is now the capital of the baseball world, but not this Starkville. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the other Starkville, the place where you find Mississippi State. They won the College World Series, so congratulations to them and to everyone in that other Starkville. And I, I think we agreed neither of us has ever been to that Starkville. Is that right? We have not. It is our doppelganger, so I think if we set foot in Starkville, we would implode. We'd just completely disintegrate. <laughs> so I think we're better off here virtually. I, I don't know. I think we need to do a show there sometime. <laughs> sometime. I don't know exactly. when that would, time would be, but sometime. <laughs> All right, next thing. Remember last week, uh, we were waiting the results of my Twitter poll on what to call the artist formerly known as the Ghost Runner? <laughs> uh, 
the ballots have been counted. I'm a little shocked by what they gave us, but here we go. Nearly 10,000 votes, <laughs> and the runaway winner was the Manfred Man. <laughs> I love it. 61.2% <laughs> Manfred Man, not the old band, the runner in the night. No, it was a Manfred Man. Uh, distant second was uh, the one I thought was going to win, Zombie Run, 20.6%. They're all great. Then the uh, Terrence Gore, 10.3. The rerunner. I thought that was great. Yeah. I only got 7.9. So, so, Doug, your thoughts? Uh, yeah. I, well, I guess if, if Commissioner Manfred wants to be just forever immortalized by his namesake, yeah, I think he could kind of sign off on that and endorse it. And then we kind of can roll with it and be the Manfred man. You know, it'd be like, you got a sponsorship by M&M's, you know, I mean, it's perfect. So I, I think it's great. You know, it's just all how you see it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if he wants to be immortalized. I guess we'll find out. <laughs> but like, I, I know there's some, there are definitely some broadcasters out there who are just casually using Manfred Man. <laughs> uh, this, uh, this idea came from Joe Luckhopt of the Reds, but uh, I love it. Uh, I'll be interested to see if people just, Start routinely calling these extra inning runners the Manfred Man. I, I'm, I'm going to bet no. But, all right, one last thing before we get to Ken and Eno. Uh, the All-Star teams were just announced. In fact, you were in the studio for the ESPN show Sunday. And an amazing thing happened, man. Shohei Otani, our hero, was elected to the All-Star team as a hitter. And then the players elected to the all-star team as a pitcher. Doug, are we sure this dude is a real person? I am serious. Like, doesn't this beat anything Bo Jackson ever did or Dion ever did? Look, I, I'm still kind of speechless about Otani. I just, uh, I, I said on the show last night that uh, it is the greatest thing I've seen in baseball. And I, I stand by it. I just can't understand how you could be that talented and that productive on both sides of the ball. Because just think about it just at the basic level. He's destroying major league pitching, which is pretty much at the best it's been in a long time statistically, certainly. And he's getting out major league hitters that, you know, hit the ball out of the park, you know, with consistency. And he's, he's doing it at a level that he's, you know, an all-star at both levels. And it's, it's really hard to fathom it. it yeah, I guess Dion... You know, if he ran for a thousand yards as a rusher and had twenty interceptions, you know, maybe I guess. But the the specialization <laughs> of baseball makes it so amazing, and, and I think some of the one fundamental thing mechanically I see him do is you always talk about an inside-out swing. It's kind of thinking of it as if there's a pitch thrown inside to you as a hitter. If you hit it out front early, you pull the ball, and that's usually your power. But if you let it get deep and it kind of, or you're beat by it and it's kind of getting by you. You have an emergency swing that you can just drop the the barrel and just take it right to the ball. So they call it inside-out swing. Most of the time, that swing is very defensive. It's very uh, sort of emergency. This guy is leaning into that swing, getting beat by fastballs, and hitting it 425 opposite field. It, it's really unbelievable. It's like truly unbelievable. And so I'm, I'm seeing things that I just haven't really seen before. And I look at it, I say, well, this ball should be like a pop-up down the third base line, and he's hitting it 10 rows up. So just watching him, just the fact of like the subtleties of his talent and the fact that he's still kind of figuring it out, 
I mean, that's that's hard to do. You're coming from another country, another league, and you're figuring out major league hitters at a time that they're dominating this way, and you're actually pushing back. Yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 once in a, it's Haley's comet. It's like eighth wonder of the world type stuff. And uh, yeah, I just I try to watch him every single single chance I get. It's it's really crazy. Yeah, I tell people all the time, uh, whatever you were planning to do tonight, don't do that thing. <laughs> so <laughs> you should stop what you're doing and watch Shohei do that thing that he does because we like we just haven't seen humans do this. Still not convinced he's a real human. Can't possibly be. But, uh, you know, as Ken Rosenthal wrote in The Athletic the other day, uh, Major League Baseball is going to basically make up the rules of the All-Star game as they go <laughs> along next week just to make sure that uh, Otani can do whatever the heck he feels like he's up to doing physically in the game. Uh, if he wants to pitch or even start the game, <laughs> leave for a couple innings, come back as DH, that's cool. Right. Okay. If he wants to start as the DH, take a break, come back later and pitch, they are cool with that too. I so, love Doug, it. Like, is this okay with you? Because it's awesome with me. Should baseball just suspend all normal rules and let Shohei do whatever he wants anytime he wants in this yeah. game? Yeah. I mean, why not? I mean, because everything he does is like seeing things you just haven't seen before. You want to see it. I mean, I'll let him hit right handed, whatever. I mean, he, um, you know, I mean, Baez, remember Javi Baez hit lefty and. But this guy is so amazing. And, and the fact that the All-Star Game, that's what it's about, right? It's a showcase. And you want to see the most unusual, amazing things that the sport has to offer. And Otani is just that. So you have to make give him the room to do that. And as you mentioned, uh, you know, my well, my idea, you want me to share my idea of how you really maximize? Well, yeah. Like on the ESPN show on Sunday, you had the perfect scenario for when he should come back and pitch, assuming he starts as the DH. So, yeah, I, I, I want to hear this brainstorm. It is brilliant. Yeah, well, this is this is simple. He He's so good that he should not only be an all-star for the American League pitching and hitting, he should also be a National League all-star. Okay, so let's just start there. <laughs> and so the beautiful scenario I envision is Otani pitches for the National League against himself. Okay, so he pitches and then he hits off himself. And I think that would just be something we've never seen before. And uh, I think it would be just, I think it would be absolutely so memorable that we would just remember this moment in time. Where were you when Shohei Otani struck himself out and then hit a home run off himself? And then he hit himself in the back later in the game, charged the mound and punched himself in the face. And then got ejected, and then consoled himself in the dugout, and then interviewed himself in the post-game interview. Like that—that's what I right. want to see. I want to see the complete package. I—I uh, I can't believe there's not like a commercial out right now, kind of like a bow nose thing, of just Otani like hitting off himself, charging himself, like playing second base, shortstop. I mean, come on, let's go. Like, wh- what do we need here? Sponsors? Let's go. Let's get it together. We need a Shohei Otani commercial. It's long overdue. <laughs> Uh, you are hired by the marketing department immediately. Okay, when can you start? Anytime. <laughs> I, I was thinking my dream scenario would be he'd win the home run derby. Of course, he will hit about fifty bombs, right? S- then start the game on the mound, strike out the side in the first. <laughs> DH, get two at bats, homer in both of those. Come back, close out the game, strike out the side in the ninth. Host the post game show. 
in two languages, <laughs> then on his way out of the stadium, save the planet from a UFO or something. How is any of that not plausible with this guy? It's it's all possible. And he steal a couple bases even when he didn't get on base. That's this is what he would do. He'd be like the Manfred man and just steal home, steal third, and never have reached base. I mean, that's the type of stuff he does. Hey, there's an idea. Like, if we're going to make up the rules for him, just let him go run the bases anytime <laughs> things start to lag. Right, he can pinch run for himself. I mean, I'm t- I-, I just want to see the box score when this guy plays in the All-Star game with no rules. I mean, what are you going to do? You have to throw it away. Like, or, you know, uh, yeah, it's, it's beautiful. It's a work, it's work of art. It's The box score is going to have to treat him like he's two different people with that. <laughs> I mean, I mean he might would be. he shift if he's pitching against himself? Would he shift on himself? I, I wonder about that. Would he put himself in a shift? Uh, is there like some cloning? A, a cloning has to happen with Otani. Has yeah. to be. Yeah. Okay, I'll I'll be sure to ask him that if I yeah, see him. Yeah, please. <laughs> well, Doug, that's enough blabbing for us because we are halfway through this season, man. We're a week away from the All Star Game. So what better time to look back and look ahead than right now? And to help us do that, we are inviting in two athletic legends, Ken Rosenthal and Eno Saris. Gentlemen, welcome to Starkville. Jason, when you say athletic legends, you mean the athletic. We're not actually athletic legends. Actually, I can only speak for myself. Maybe Eno is. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I peaked at uh, JV. <laughs> okay. I stand corrected. The athletic legends. The legend part, at least there's no dispute about that. Uh, all right, guys, here's what I think we should do. We're going to look back at the first half, think ahead to what's coming in July and beyond. Uh, I'll throw a bunch of fun categories out there, and then we'll go around this imaginary table we're all sitting at. See how much light we can shed on all of this. Um, I'm going to guess it'll be so much light, it'll be blinding. <laughs> Sound good? Sounds good. Wonderful. <laughs> Love it. All right. Okay, let's get started. Uh, what is your biggest surprise team so far? Uh, you know, I know where you're going with this, so let's start with you. Yeah, it's got to be the Giants. I think everyone's surprised to see them at the top of the division. But something that Farhan has done, Farhan Zaidi there, um, has done is just uh, have the biggest coaching staff in the big leagues. And I think that's really done a lot. Like, he's also done a lot of work at the bottom of the roster, making, you know, a lot of waiver acquisitions, waiver claims, um, you know, and, and that sort of thing is bringing the bottom up and the coaching is taking the old guys and getting the most out of them. Um, so, you know, it's inevitable that they'll get hurt. Evan Longoria, Brandon Belt, uh, you know, the, the, the chatter around uh, San Francisco is he it might be surgery and he's out for the year. But if he's done enough work on the bottom of the roster, they may have staying power. Well, too. let me let me give a quick reaction to this. I, like I've been saying for two months, all their most productive offensive players are in their 30s. That never bodes well. Uh, and I like I'm, I'm looking at their rotation. Okay, they get to get through June. Their rotation has an ERA of 3.17 and a WHIP of 1.09. Shane Bieber is higher in both categories, right? So, like, their whole rotation has been Shane Bieber. I it, I mean, I want it to be sustainable. I'm not so sure. Anyway, I've been saying that for two months. Ken, who's your biggest surprise? Well, I'm with Eno in that the Giants really are the biggest surprise because if you go back and look at the Pakoda projections and other projections, they were 
projected to be worse than the team I'm going to pick. But the team I'm going to pick was also not seen as a club that was going to contend this year, especially off last season. And that's the Red Sox. And the Red Sox thing is amazing in a few ways. One, their pitching is far better than anyone expected. <laughs> I like lights out better. The, the bullpen <laughs> is actually good. And no one anticipated that. And even in the rotation, it's the same thing. So with the offensive guys rebounding, the ones who needed to, like J.D., for instance, that possibly could have been expected. But overall, when you look at them, it's Cora, man. Alex Cora has had a pronounced effect on this team in a way that most managers don't. And there's a fearlessness to them. There's an aggressiveness to them that we've seen before with his teams in Boston. But – that kind of overrides everything. And I think it's a reason why they pitch better and why they are offensively more dynamic. It's not everything. The players performing is everything, but the core effect is not to be dismissed. Couldn't agree more. Doug, who's your surprise team? Well, you know, when you look at the Giants with at this time 50 wins, then you have to turn and look at the Milwaukee Brewers who have 48. I mean, how in the world have they done it? Uh, they, uh, their pitching is, especially their rotation has been fantastic. You have Hader closing it out, but when you're hitting 218 as a team or 30th in major league baseball, <laughs> and you have that many wins, I mean, you're doing something right. And I know Craig council is a, a very good manager. I think their front office has, you know, great sense of acquisition, but they're, they're not a team that you could say, well, they hit the ball to the ballpark or they steal bases or you're just finding, they're finding ways to score runs. They're getting some timely hits. And Yelich has been just not even close to the MVP we, we've saw, seen in the past. Yet they find ways to win. And, you know, they're riding a streak now. So I think the Brewers really have surprised me as how well they're playing and the fact that they can chain together so many wins in a row. Yeah. Who's the NL manager of the year? Is it Gabe Kapler or Craig Council? That's a, no, that no. is a tough one. Yeah. All right. Here, here's my team. I, I mean, I agree with all you guys, but here's my team. How about the Rays? Like we underestimate the Rays every year. It's what we do best. They trade Blake Snell. They don't re-sign Charlie Morton. Uh, you could argue their two most electric arms last year: Tyler Glass now, Nick Anderson get hurt. They trade Willie Adamas. They're still one of the best teams in the American League. The way they do it and the, the when you watch it, uh, how much they enjoy doing it, um, there's just something special about that team. They're the surprise team of every year. All right, why don't we go to biggest disappointment? Uh, Ken, let's start with you. It's got to be the Twins for me. And if you go back again, look at all the projections and all the predictions, pretty much everyone had them, if not winning the division because of respect for the White Sox, certainly stepping, and they have cratered. Now, there are reasons for it. It was a trying month of April, if you remember. They had a COVID issue. They had the issue in Minneapolis with postponing a game after the person outside of the town was murdered by police, and there was a lot going on with that team. And it definitely explains part of this. But while injuries are a factor, too, no one would have anticipated that they would not bounce back and they have not bounced back. So I'll go with the twins. You know, who do you got? 
Yeah, you know, their record isn't as bad as the Twins, and so they haven't cratered as much, but the Yankees were supposed to be, like, a favorite, I think, for, you know, making the World Series sort of thing. So 500 is is, is a big disappointment, uh, whether you're in New York or not. Um, there, it's a, it's uh, the end of the world. But the one thing I did want to mention, the reason I wanted to mention the Yankees, though, is that the underlying stats don't seem to suggest uh, it's a terrible team, so you're kind of still waiting for them to get better, because... You know, in terms of like barrels, they, they barrel the ball uh, in top three in the league. Uh, by Fangraph's war, their pitching staff is tops in the league. Their bullpen uh, is tops in the league. So you just wonder if some of the starters need to kind of get it together and they need to kind of string some hits together because it still doesn't seem like that bad of a team. I know there's a lot of chicken littling going on in New York, but I, I still see a lot of stars. Well, there's a lot of stars. I, you know, somebody said to me the other day, there's a lot of stars. There's not enough baseball players. Uh, you know, they, they're the worst base running team in the league, right? They're one of the worst defensive teams in the league. They've got some issues beyond that I think are, are taking a team that has the chance to be really good and undermining all of it. Doug, who's your biggest disappointment? I have to say the Atlanta Braves. Uh, I, I just saw them as a team. First of all, they were right knock on the doorstep of the World Series last year. And their offense was just unstoppable. I mean, obviously Acuna Jr. And the fact that they're just floundering around 500, uh, pitching is really disappointed. I know they've had injuries like everybody else. Uh, they just don't seem to be in sync. And, uh, you know, to be under 500 with that much talent just doesn't make any sense. Now they scored 21s recently and they could be on an upside, but, you know, Freeman's not been as sharp. Everybody's just off their game. And you know, I saw them as a team that could you know run away with the division, and they're they're barely floundering in the middle right now. Yeah, you know, don't underestimate the impact of their bullpen. Uh, you know, they, they got through June; they'd lost uh, 19 games in which they held a lead at some point. Mm -hmm. Right? They lost 15 games in which they were ahead or tied in the eighth inning, and uh, that like that's the complete opposite of the bullpen that they ran out there last year. I am going to say Cardinals. Um, incredible. Like they, they, that team can't score. They can't. Uh, just very little dependable pitching beyond Adam Wainwright since, uh, since Jack Flaherty went down. And I, I don't want people to read anything too sinister into this, but somebody said to me recently, check out the Cardinals record since Joe West went to the mound to confiscate Giovanni Gallegos' hat. And uh, I thought, you know what? That is kind of a line of demarcations. I went and looked. So they were in Arizona at the time, swept them, left their eight games over. Then the next four weeks, they went 6-18. and 18. They went from first place to eight games back. Now, again, I don't, I don't want to be too conspiratorial, but... They've had a disastrous last four or five weeks, and they're in trouble. That's a team to really keep our eye on. Um, all right, let's, let's move along to a subject near and dear to the heart of Eno Saris. I'm going to say the two words, <laughs> the two magic words that have kept Eno's pulse racing now for weeks. Spider tack. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm a little tired. Of right. it, honestly. No, no, no. You're writing about this since 2018. I, I, can I no. get off yet? No. All right, like, all right, let's let's take a look here at the impact of this crackdown. That's what I want to do. I'll give you some numbers. Um, 
you know, you could you could pick a lot of dates for when to start looking at this. You know, when this became a thing, when pitchers realized this crackdown was coming. I decided to pick the date of June 5th. I'll just give you a few numbers, okay? Before June 5th, the league-wide batting average was 236. Since then, it's 246. Runs per game went from about 4.3 to 4.6 a game per team. So we're now all of a sudden over nine runs a game. Home runs per game were at 1.15, which would have ranked us in the, you know, in the, in the range of maybe four or five years ago. All of a sudden, since then, 1.27 homers per game. Just so you understand, if that happened over a full season, we'd have the third most home runs in the history of baseball. And strikeout percentage was over 24%, 24.1. Since then, it's dropped to 23.6%. So tell me, you know, what should we make of what has happened to the sport? since the spider tech crackdown. Yeah, I mean, the hardest thing is that offense peaks in August anyway. So some of this stuff would have been happening anyway. I mean, the, the ball flies better uh, in the heat so that we would have had the home run rate go up. What, what really sticks out to me is that that drop in strikeout rate is not that much. And when we tried to put, you know, model this and project it out, we had a similar finding where we were like, it might go down to 23% and that might be it. Um, so <laughs> it puts me in an awkward <laughs> position where maybe the pitchers were right. Maybe it was about command. Maybe it was about control. Because when you look at walk rate, that's up more than strikeout rate is down. You look at homers, you look at hits, that's all sort of command stuff. Uh, there is some, you know, change in movement. There's less ride on fastballs. Uh, it's very complicated. I think we won't know the full impact of on baseball itself uh, until, you know, at least another month or two. But... Uh, it's obviously like 20% of the league is down two standard deviations. That's what you expect from sort of spider tack usage. Uh, half of the league plus is down significantly in spin. Obviously, spin is down. The enforcement is working, and it, it's going to help offense. I just, I'm just a little surprised the strikeout rate's not down lower. Yeah, I, I, I am too. But let's see where it goes. Now we, you know, we had Andrew Miller on Starkville last week, and he said something really interesting. He said, "I'm convinced." that pitchers can throw a baseball hard with spin, with movement, with nothing on their fingers except rosin. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I agree. we're seeing some of that. And I, <laughs> I, I hope we do. Uh, Ken? We're seeing, we're seeing some adjustments real quick. We're seeing some uh, going to the two-seamer. No doubt. So, you know, that that's, that's confounding the results that you're seeing is that, like, there's, uh, you know, 10% of the league has actually switched a significant amount from four-seamers to two-seamers. And without the sticky stuff holding back the ball a little bit, you're actually seeing a velocity boost. So the velocity going up and the adjustments the pitchers are making, I think, is uh, undoing some of the effect. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ken, let me let me ask you about what you think the effect of this crackdown is on the trade deadline, because I'm sensing a lot of nervous front offices out there uh, as they start thinking about trading for pitchers. What do they know about these pitchers in a, in a post crackdown world? Well, they're noticing spin rates too, and they're tracking that stuff. They were doing that even before the crackdown started. So, a couple of points I want to make. One. I know people have been upset that this happened in the middle of the season, but Eno's been writing about this since November, actually for years. But really, in November is when he said for the first time, your favorite pitcher probably is cheating. It was out of hand. The crackdown had to happen. We can debate the mechanics of it, certainly. But in my view, the season was at stake. The integrity of the season was at stake. So that's number one. Number two, trade deadline, yes. Jason, teams are going to be looking at this closely, and there are certain hitters you might feel are going to benefit. With regard to pitchers, certain guys who are going to drop dramatically, who clearly have to make an adjustment, are going to be looked at in a different manner. Now, the one thing we need to keep in mind here, the best pitchers are still going to be the best pitchers, in my opinion. They might not be quite as good as they were before, but it's almost as if we go back to the steroid era was Bonds the best player before? Yes. Then he became Superman when he used PEDs. So that is kind of the same effect I think we're seeing here. It's not like any one pitcher is going to suddenly collapse. I expect maybe a couple will do that, but not the elite guys. All right, Doug, I'm curious about your take. You, I mean, you see this as a hitter would see it. Uh, now that you don't have crazy wiffle ball movement right. on every pitch. <laughs> right. What's the impact of that? Yeah, it's a big impact. And I think, you know, when I think about stepping in, in the box against certain pitchers, right, You there's kind of a, especially when you get a body of evidence in time, sort of like what Josh Donaldson's talking about, you know, you kind of see a realm of possibility. It, it's sort of a bell curve. You face guys and they're kind of the movements in this range. And then occasionally you face like Maddox where the ball is doing whatever crazy stuff or you face someone like a heavy ball like Chris Young or something like that. But you do get a sense of hitting the ball where you kind of think it's going to be, right? You don't have time in 98 to be like, oh, I'm going to see it. and I'm gonna... you, you have an anticipation. And what spin rate does, especially the escalation of it, is every time you're facing a pitcher, it's like you're facing a new guy every outcome, every outing. And then over the course of years, Trevor Bauer, whoever, when the spin rate's changing that much on multiple pitches, you almost have to relearn in every confrontation. And that's a huge advantage when I'm I'm like, okay, when I face John Smoltz like 30 times, it's like, okay, his fastball kind of did this. He might have added a splitter, but this is kind of what it does. And I, it's like muscle memory. You're built into saying that this is where the ball's going to be. What they've done now is erase that entire ability to repeat and and depend on the repeatability. And, the, and, and so, yes, that's their job to throw us off. Uh, but then you combine that with shifting defenses and specialization in the bullpen on all these things. Yeah, it's really hard to hit. And this was just a slap in the face of like the next level of where you can go to just make it that much harder to hit. And 
and there's no doubt that spin rate is based on the ball. Okay, I'll take a four-seamer. It's not dropping as much or it's not moving to where you think it's going to be. So you're swinging under the ball. So And by the time you try to figure it out in that one game, guess what? They brought in like four other relievers <laughs> against you. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, if you want any offense, you got to address many things. But this is you know, definitely one of the things, maybe subtle, but enough to you know, make a huge difference on, you know, whether I hit 235 or 247 with power, you know. So, um, so you know, you have a problem. And I think, you know, has been on top of it, recognizing that, you know, we dealt with sign stealing. And the thing about Bonds, you mentioned Ken and others, is like, what, the key is like, what we know of, right? Like, what was happening before? You lose that credibility to make the argument like uh, any player who says like, oh, well, I only did it in the signing year. I don't know. But I know that when I watch batting practice off of certain hitters and they hit the ball across the Yellowstone Park, you kind of knew something was wrong. You just weren't sure what you could do about it. right? <laughs> yeah, well, we're, we're finding out. All right, now that we've we've been through Eno Saris season, let's move along to Ken Rosenthal season. You know what July is, boys? It's trading time. Yeah. And Kenny, I'm thinking you might be a little busy. So what seller will you be watching the most closely? I would say the Twins, only because they're in this unique position now where they haven't contended. And we know they have some players on expiring contracts who conceivably could make a difference for a team. Nelson Cruz foremost among them. Angleton Simmons would be another one. And in the bullpen as well. So those are all obvious pieces the unobvious piece but i think he's becoming more obvious is barrios and here's a guy with a year left after this year they haven't signed him and they've tried so you're looking at keeping him for another year with a team you hope will contend and i'm sure that they hope to be back in it next year or trading him for maybe a younger jose barrios now i'm sure a twins fan would say whoa whoa keep him to the end keep trying to sign him but his value in this market is going to be extreme. It's going to be extreme because the quality of starting pitchers available is quite low. So you put that together. You put also the factor that after the 2022 season, the qualifying offer system might be entirely different. Who knows if there'll even be draft pick compensation. So I would get what I can for him now. And I don't mean that in a way like the twins should settle. I believe they could get a really good deal for Barrios and therefore go forward uh, let me ask you one quick follow-up on the twins um like byron buxton won't be healthy now between now and the deadline what do you think would have happened with him well if he had been healthy maybe they wouldn't be in this position that's first of all <laughs> although i don't know that he would have made a 10 game difference but yeah. if he were healthy i would think it's the same situation they've tried to sign him have not been able to do it and you'd have to look at at least the idea of it now jason we know this trading pitchers at the deadline is much easier than trading position players. But Byron Buxton, healthy, would have changed the entire conversation. Eno, do you have a seller that you're watching? Yeah, one of the teams that's interesting to me is the Pirates. And the reason that I mention them is that they have some cheap assets. And there are going to be some teams, um, I'm thinking of the Astros, for example, that are right up against the luxury tax and don't want to spend anything. Um, and so getting somebody from the Pirates that's super cheap uh, could be a reliever 
Uh, Kyle Crick is only worth $800,000 or only paid $800,000 this year. Chris Stratton is about a million. Uh, Richard Rodriguez is a million and a half. Those guys could help a bullpen and they won't cost much. And then on top of that, they still have some uh, interesting bats in Adam Frazier. And, and, and then will they trade Brian Reynolds? You know, they've got him for three or four more years, but that could be the one that haul that could give them a real haul. No doubt an interesting team. Doug, do you have a team that you are watching? Well, maybe it's more of a player on a team, but the the Trevor story story kind of, you know, I mean, (laughs) very curious about what's going to happen with him and, you know, whether the full exit strategy of the Rockies with Arenado and and the left side of their infield, because, you know, he's just a pure impact player, you know, obviously has to stay healthy, but... He's, he's a player that can completely change the complexion of a team that's looking for this versatility on the offensive side of the, and also can play some great D. Ken, let me ask you a question about Trevor Story. If the All-Star game had not been moved to Coors Field, would he already been traded? <laughs> We've had this situation before, actually, Jason. Yeah. I can't recall exactly, but, oh, it was the Reds. The year the Reds had the All-Star game, it was fairly recently. They were in a seller-type position, and... Bob Castellini, the owner, made it clear we're not doing anything before the All-Star game. My guess is the answer is no, because they want to let this play out. Also, he's playing a little bit better now. His value a week ago wasn't all that high, or at least as high as it should be. So maybe from that perspective, you let it go. I don't know why the All-Star game being anywhere would affect anything. You get the best deal on July 10th, you make that deal. But if you're asking whether that's a factor for ownership, I believe it's a factor for ownership, (laughs) because let's face it. If Trevor's story was traded to the Milwaukee Brewers, probably won't be at this point, but if he was, <laughs> comes back to win the home run derby as a Brewer, that would not be great. <laughs> Bingo. Yeah. Yes, sir. Beyond that, you know, it's non-zero. It's worth money, you know, to have a jersey in the All-Star game. You know, I think Manny Machado, uh, the deal was in place and the Orioles wouldn't have had, they wouldn't have had their jersey in there. And it's, I mean, this year, mm-hmm. Uh, it's not really, well, they wouldn't have it. Maybe Mullen. Anyway, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I don't even mean that. I just mean the jerseys are so terrible. Does it, I don't know if that counts. It's a whole separate issue. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll, I'll give you guys a team, uh, the Rangers. Um, where's Joey Gallo going? Yeah. Like we, We've been tracking the Joey Gallo trade rumors for so long, and the time feels like it's now with a, with a year and a half to go on that contract, right? Kyle Gibson, the time is now. He's pitching great. Um, you know, those two guys could change a team, especially that, that mode that Joey Gallo's been in lately where he hits a home run or two every day. Um, definitely a team to watch. But let me ask you about a couple of teams that we don't know what they're going to do. How about the Cubs? Doug, mm. you do Cubs pre and post. What's What are the Cubs going to look like <laughs> in a month if they keep playing the way they've been playing uh you know some sort of quilt if that's possible like (laughs) i mean i you know they uh it's you know they have this week where you're like oh my goodness the wheels are really falling off the the challenge in starting pitching uh you know the offense has really struggled just hitting for any average but they've found ways to win but then they ran up against the brewers and things just completely were exposed as uh, being on the road, not even getting the ball to Kimbrel, giving up big innings with with his bullpen was great most of the season. But then, 
there are a lot of pieces in there that are not established relievers. They're just kind of guys been placed in the right situation that you're not sure you could sustain it. When you talk about 162 games or going into September where you haven't had a deep starting rotation and you have an exhausted bullpen. So these are tough. Like Jed Hoyer has a nightmare on his hands because you have some legacy players right there that you're looking at and, you know, haven't signed it. You know, Baez, Contreras, Rizzo, these cats, they're still sort of out there trying to figure it out. So I do think they might have a buyer and seller mentality, try to get certain pieces because they, they believe they they still can compete and certainly into the future. David Ross wasn't brought in to be like a complete turnaround guy. I think they really want to win with Ross. So they're they're complicated, but this was highly damaging this week and it has to have the front office rethinking quite a bit. Yeah. Ken, you just wrote about the Cubs and whether they're going to sell, what they would sell, if they do sell. How like Even if they decided, okay, we're far enough out that we should sell. Do they sell everybody? Bryant and Baez and Rizzo and Kimbrell. Or I think you suggested it would be much more measured than that if it happens at all. I do expect it will be more measured. And right now they do all of a sudden look like sellers. And a week ago, as Doug just said, they look like buyers. So things can change quickly this time of year and there's still time. Before the deadline, they've got six games against the Diamondbacks before the deadline, and that's going to make them healthier, I would presume. <laughs> so when you come down to it, you're going to have a really difficult equation, again, as Doug said, because, all right, let's say you trade Bryant and Kimball. To me, they're the most obvious to trade. Bryant has extreme value because he can play so many different positions. Kimball, because high-end relievers are always in demand at the deadline. They bring a lot. So you trade those two, okay. Then what happens if you don't sign Baez and or Rizzo? You don't keep them. Then you're looking at a team that is basically decimated next year. And you're looking at a team that's basically decimated at a time when the Cubs are trying to get their new network going. They're having that Wrigley redevelopment plan, not producing the revenue that they thought it would originally, first because of the pandemic, then because of this season. How do you sell tickets? Now, I know people love going to Wrigley and it doesn't matter whether the Cubs win or lose. Yeah, I get it. But at some point, <laughs> fans will get frustrated. Fans are already frustrated there because of the Darvish trade, which would have made a huge difference in this team had they kept you, Darvish. So true. All right, l- let me ask you guys about one more team. It's kind of in the same boat. We were just talking about the Yankees. And through 81 games, the Yankees, incredibly had a minus nine run differential, minus nine. And our friend Katie Sharp tweeted this. It's the 25th time in the history of the Yankees franchise they've had a negative run differential after 81 games. You know how many times they made the postseason, the previous 24 times they did this? That would be none. So, Ken, here's the question. Do we really think the Yankees would sell? I don't, based on comments made by Hal Steinbrenner earlier last week or last week when he said, hey, that's not something we're contemplating right now. Now, that's an easy thing to get out of. They're not contemplating it now, but they could be contemplating it two days from now. And Cashman has kind of indicated, "Eh, we'll see what happens. So, listen, 2016, what do they do? They traded Chapman. They traded Andrew Miller. Labor Torres came back. Clint Frazier came back. I know Frazier hasn't worked out, but at the time, it was thought of as a 
brilliant move, both of them, and the Torres thing certainly was. So could they do that again? Well, I'm not so sure they have that much to sell. Britain is under control for another year, had injury issues. Chapman's under control for another year. He has slumped in June to a certain extent. So you look around the diamond, who do they move? I'm not sure. But what I see here, Jason, and I've written this repeatedly. I wrote this three weeks ago, I think. How do you justify them as a buyer? They've been obsessed with the luxury tax threshold for over a year. And now they're going to go over with a team that is underperforming pretty dramatically, or at least to this point has. I don't see how you do that. Now, maybe they can make moves on the margins like they did last week with LeCastro. That's fine. And maybe these kinds of moves will make them better. But are they a player for, say, Trevor Story? I would be really surprised. Yeah, that's a great point. And, I, you know, the, the other point that you made, I've heard this a lot. Other teams ask me, like, what on their roster would you buy? You know, how attractive are their guys? Uh, not as attractive as you'd think for all sorts of reasons, from age and money to just performance this year. Really a fascinating team to watch. Uh, look, we're running short of time, so why don't we wrap this up with some fun over-unders. Okay, guys, you ready for this? Jacob deGrom's ERA, over or under one? You know, start with you. Uh, I'm a projections guy. I'm going over. He's projected for about 2.5 ERA going forward. That would end up just slightly over one, I think, for the full season. Uh, I hate hearing that. Ken? I'll say over two. And my concern here is that he pitches enough innings to qualify. Now, right now, he's fine. But at the end, if he has to take a break and with everything that's happened, I don't know. All right, that's too pessimist. <laughs> Glanville, what do you got? Yeah, I gotta go over. Just uh, go yeah, over. injury oh. slash. He's he's pretty banged up. Eventually, that's gonna be banged up, and he's not gonna throw a hundred. He's gonna throw like ninety two or four. Uh, no. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a it's just a health thing. The guy's obviously incredible. There's no doubt. It's just I'm worried about his health. You know, worried about his health. Yeah. Well, I know he appreciates your compassion there, pal. I, I guess somebody's got to go under. I'll go under. Um, like I think he actually is well-positioned to beat Bob Gibson, even if he does go over a little bit. He could – look this up from my What We Learned column, too. He could allow twice as many runs from July on as he allowed in April, May, and June if, say, he pitched 162 innings and still be under 1.12 I want that to happen. He's the man to make it happen. Let's, I'm, I'm going with under. Tough. We'll show. I'll show you guys. Fair enough. <laughs> it would be right, cool. Do, There's no doubt. Yeah, it'd be like it'd be. You know, I, like I root for stories. How about that story? I would root for that story. Uh, all right, let's do some Shohei Otani over unders because we amazingly we haven't really addressed him yet. Over or under fifty homers. <laughs> Got to July with 28. Let's start with Glanville. What do you got, over or under? Wow. Uh, I'll say under, like 48 or something crazy. Uh, eventually, they'll figure out they have to walk this guy all the time. And uh, you, you get late in the season, you're like, don't let Otani beat you. So, I, you know, it's hard to do to get to that 50 to double your output. So, I'll say under. I think he'll get close, though. 
Ken? I'll say under two, and I'm worried about fatigue. <laughs> and the guy seems to be Superman, and he's a physical specimen, obviously, unlike any we've seen, and his strength is incredible as far as just endurance. But, again, we have not seen a guy do this. Will he still be the same in September? I sort of have my doubts, and that's why I'll say under. The ability is there to do it. There's no question. All right, two unders. You know? All right, here's some slightly irrational yes. exuberance. I do have one projection system that says he can hit that he's going to hit 50. Um, and then I just read Rustin Todd's amazing piece on Otani, and I just wanted to give yeah. that some love. And coming off of that with haikus <laughs> and swordsmanship, uh, I'm, uh, I'm all over uh, the over on this one. I, I'll give him that extra two or three homers he's not projecting. Yeah, I'm giving him an over, too. I'm going to be the... Uh... I'm going to be the ray of sunshine in this over-under poll. Like, <laughs> Ken, I, I hear what you're saying, man. I share these concerns, but we said the same stuff a month ago. No doubt. Two months ago. He's, no doubt. He's not going to hold up. He's wearing down. What are, like, what have we seen the last three weeks? He hits a home run every day. <laughs> so, I'm over. Um, how about 90 extra base hits? He got to July at 49. Over or under? Ken, I'll start with you on this one. Well, I'm going to say under for the same reason, but I want to make this point. <laughs> and Jason, it just reminded me when we're talking power, we have our Hall of Fame conversations, and we talk about a player as not a Hall of Famer. Well, it doesn't mean he wasn't a great player. So I don't want to be perceived as not thinking Otani is the greatest thing ever because I think he's the greatest thing ever. 90 extra base hits would be quite an accomplishment, and he's certainly capable of doing it. I just, it's a long season, man. And we got August to get through the dog days and all that. Granted, it's a little different in Anaheim than playing in the East where it's muggy all the time. But I don't know. If you're asking my actual opinion, I'll <laughs> I know. He's going to wear down, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, what do you think? Projections say no, but I'm going to say yes. One of the things that is underrated about Otani is how fast he is. He is yes. fast. And so I think he can turn some singles into doubles and get some triples and. Uh, have some fun with the extra. Yeah, that's the correct answer, yeah. Doug. What do you got? Yeah, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll go over for that reason also. I think it's because, all right, maybe he's like, all right, he's not getting quite the backspin. It's, he's only hitting at four oh five instead of four ninety five. <laughs> so it hits the top of the wall, and he's at second base. I mean, this guy is, you know, I want to. I, I, I think he's going to do something that we've never seen before, even statistically, at some point. So I, I figured maybe this year might be one of them. Just quite a quite a talent. Okay, the correct answer is over. Uh, one more on him. <laughs> All right. No, okay. This one's a hard one. Which will be higher? Number of home runs he hits or the number of runs he allows as a pitcher? Uh, got to July with 28 home runs hit, 26 runs allowed. So if he wears down, you would assume he would pitch less as well as hit less. Mm. Good one. Mm. Uh, let's do Eno first with this one. Uh, we, we track a stat called Command Plus uh, that we get through Stats Perform. He is a bottom 10 guy when it comes to Command Plus. So you see it in the yep. walk rate, um, and I think you'll see it in the ERA or the runs allowed uh, by the end of the season. Ken? Uh, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll go with Eno on this. And granted, the game in Yankee Stadium – Last week was one game, but he hasn't been as consistent on the mound as he would be if he was pitching 
all the time. John Smoltz makes this point. It's amazing. He says, and John does not say things like this lightly, that if Otani simply pitched, did not hit, he'd be Jacob DeGrom. Now, I don't know if that's true, but for John to say that, that's a pretty strong statement. He, His point is that he's still kind of raw, and I, I think we see that. Uh, Doug, what do you think? I think he'll give up more runs. I mean, because part of if it's part of it wearing down is just not pitching as much, but it's also being less effective. And we saw the Yankees kind of knocked him around. Uh, control maybe a challenge. So, yeah, I think that might be where he uh, gets exposed. But, you know, anything we talk about with him is like, it's like Haley's Comet, so I'm just kind of rolling with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I actually think you're all right on this one. I, I would go runs aloud, too. I, as the game in New York reminded us, like one bad night on the mound when you don't have it, when you don't have a feel for the ball, you can give up five or six or seven. You're not going to hit seven homers in a game, right? So uh, that, that part's really going to be hard. So, all right. I disagree with you guys on almost everything, but we agree on that. And you know what else I think we agree on? That was awesome. Like when I spend a few minutes talking to smart people like you guys, I feel like I've got everything in baseball figured out. And then Good luck two weeks that. from now, yeah, two weeks from now, I'm going to feel like yeah, i got nothing figured it. out. And we'll all wish we hadn't said any of this, right? All right. Ken, you know, the gates of Starkville are always open to you guys. Please come visit us anytime you're in the neighborhood. Thanks for all the wisdom, and I will see you at the All-Star Game. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be a foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, Nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash theathletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra flexible, and the Pima Crew neck t-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. 
breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day, crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants, an upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads, an ultra-soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB Show. Okay, it's that time again. It's time for listener trivia, our way of involving you, our favorite listeners, in this show. And once again this week, we are literally involving you by picking your trivia question and then inviting you to join us on the podcast live to stump us with that question. We'll tell you how to do that in a few minutes. Uh, Doug, this week we couldn't find anybody who would shoot another Doug Glanville <laughs> question at us so we could maybe get one right. So we're back with regular old trivia again. Yeah. Uh, it just feels like nothing good can come from that. Am I right? <laughs> yeah, it was, it's, it's been a battle. But you know what? We, we, needed a, we needed a victory. We needed a victory to return to dynasty form. So um, I'm feeling at least good that we have now rattled off a full one in a row. So we're, we're on a roll. <laughs> the, I think the judges are still uh, <laughs> ruling on whether that counts. But uh, we did get a non-Glanville trivia question. We did get a non-Glanville trivia question correct as recently as like two and a half months yeah. ago. So oh, yeah, that's fresh. On that note, <laughs> yeah. on that note, let's invite in this week's trivia guest star. It's Paul McCord. Hey, how you doing? I'm, I'm joined by Griffin McCord. Uh two-year-old doesn't want to eat his sandwich he wants to hang out with daddy's lap and yeah. see the guys on the tv screen so no problem hi griffin we would like to welcome both of you to starkville and uh paul you go on twitter by the handle at brave stat so for some reason i'm going to surmise you're a brave fan <laughs> uh, yes uh born and raised in georgia and uh lifelong braves fan uh, i always like to say baseball first but with the heavy emphasis yeah. on the braves that's kind of the way i, I look at it i've always been a baseball fan first and it's just um i think i even put in my uh my bio that uh at some point that it's all about the baseball to me and the numbers i'm more of a fan of braves fan of stats not so much an authority on the stats or the braves so it's all good i I spent my whole career chasing the back of braves jerseys for all the division titles that we did not in, in philadelphia so sorry about that it's all good it's all good so I'm going to guess there's at least some Braves connection to your trivia question. <laughs> and I think I know what it is. So, uh, Paul, since I know you're trying to babysit here, let's get this over with. Uh, let's hear this week's Starkville yeah. trivia. All right. All right. Hang on, Griffin. Let's ask them a question, buddy. Here we go. Yay. All right. When Rob Dibble recorded the 500th strikeout of his career in June 92, it was the 1,479th batter he had faced, making him the fastest ever to 500 strikeouts mm. and the first ever to strike out more than one-third of batters faced at that point in his career. Mm. Since then, even with the drastically rising strikeout rates MLB-wide, only five pitchers have achieved their first 500K faster than Dibble. Can you name them? Good question. And mm. I think you can. Good question. Really like an amazing stat because we're talking about almost 30 or 30 years, right? So we need five pitchers who reached 500 strikeouts faster than Rob Dibble. And this means they had to strike out at least a third of all the hitters they faced. Yeah. 
I'm assuming this whole list has to be relievers. Uh, I might be wrong. Maybe uh, De- Jacob DeGrom or Randy Johnson sneaked in there. But I'm I, I just going to hone in on relievers, Doug. Uh, all right, the mandatory ex-Brave on this list <laughs> has to be Craig Kimbrell, right? He, he was striking out 50% when he yeah, first got them yeah. into the big leagues. So he's a lock. Aroldis Chapman mm-hmm. is a lock. Mm-hmm. So we need three more. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so I've done I've like I've done a lot of notes on stuff similar to this. Uh, I it, I think Kenley Jansen mm-hmm. yep. has to be in the group. Billy Wagner mm-hmm. should be in this group, but we have so many other choices. Uh, I thought about Eric Gagne. I thought mm-hmm. about Josh Hader. Good one. Uh, does he have 500 strikeouts? I don't know. He probably doesn't yet, right? Uh, Armando Benitez, <laughs> Dylan Betances. Wade Davis, Brad Lidge is a real possibility. Um, so, Doug, you faced mm. some of those guys. Uh, you probably struck out 500 times yourself against I had, Armando Benitez. I did. Uh, <laughs> what do you think? Wow. Well, I, I mean, I love I love Kimbrel Jansen, uh, Chapman. I mean, Hater. I don't know. I did put him on on a list of in my mind here. Um, so, well, the other thought, all right, what about, like, Chris Sale? Wasn't he just kind of – could he be that starter? Like, he's just always up there with – Could be. Um, but that's, this is a lot of strikeouts, man, yeah. to get in this, yeah. this few innings. Okay, so then we – so let's say it's not a start. You have Kimbrell, you have Chapman, Jansen, Wagner. Wagner. Mm. Hater. Billy Wagner, Hater, another expert. I don't know if he, yeah. I don't think Hater's got 500 strikeouts. Mm. He's got the rate, that's for sure, the strikeout rate. The more I think about it, I'm starting to think this could be Dylan Batances because yeah, he, was you know, he, had those, he had those multiple seasons of 100 strikeouts in relief. And I, I know Brad Lidge, early on, he was striking out like 14 per nine innings. That was ver- quite unheard of at the time. Mm-hmm. Oh man! All right. I, I mean, I, could, I yeah. I mean, he was un, unhittable for. So if it's like, so you're saying Wagner, Batances, Chapman, Kimbrel, and Jansen. Paul, is there any chance it's Kimbrel? Yep. Chapman, Jansen, Wagner, and I think we're saying Batances. Yeah. You got it, guys. You nailed, you nailed it. Those are our Whoa! Hey. We got it. You got it. Oh my wow. god! Was not sure was about that. That that sixth name curveball I was going to throw at you though, and I was going to give it to you if you had named him instead, Armando Benitez, who you also named. Yeah, uh, tied Dibble exactly with his fourteen. Wow! Oh my goodness! Oh, you had so that that made that fun as well. That's wow. amazing. Well, I I had I, I had no faith we were going to get this. Wow! Right. You, you guys. You, you said a bunch of really good names. I started tracking this type of thing while Craig Kimbrell was a Brave. And, um, again, my enthusiasm for Braves and just stats in general, I researched that uh, just following baseball reference game logs and uh, things like that uh, to get those those dates and numbers. Nice. And I've now followed it all the way up to every 100 milestone that Kimbrell will uh, cross. And then when other guys like DeGrom came through, I started tracking the thousands and two thousands and such. So, I've got quite the, the list of that tracked now, thanks to Kimball's early um, amazingness. With yeah. Him striking out, you know, 50% of batters in the season for the first time. Yeah. Haters wow. uh, yeah. Is, is one of the guys to watch out for. He's definitely going to obliterate that, uh, the fastest ever mark uh, pretty soon. But 
How many strikeouts does Hader have? You know, uh, it was a, a, a just under 400 to start the year, but that doesn't mean he's not going to get to 500 this year when he strikes out 130 a season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, well, what a, like what a wow. feeling. Yeah, you know, that was. We, we don't we we don't need either <laughs> a Doug Glanville trivia question or a devious Doug Glanville cheating scheme to get these right. <laughs> Yeah, once in a while. I, I did check. I did check to see if I had a Doug Glenville connection in my in my history. I thought I might have, but it, it looks like you had retired or left. A, I guess you were between Cubs stints. Uh, with my one big Cubs moment, I actually caught a Moises Alou home run at Turner Field. Um, wow! And uh, I was hoping you were going to be in the lineup that day, but you were. You didn't come back to the Cubs till a year later. Yeah, a year later. Wow. Yeah, we decided that Doug had never been in a no hitter somehow. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I couldn't think of one. And, no. All right, but but speaking of great moments, if you listen to this show regularly, you know that whether we get the question right or wrong, we still bring in Tim McMaster, the mayor of Starkville, to be the hero of this segment by dropping in uh, to play a great play-by-play clip of one of the answers. So let's bring in the mayor. Mayor Tim, what do you got today? Impressive, guys. I just want to say that was impressive. I didn't think you'd get Batanzas. I thought you would get the other four, but mm. Batanzas came in late and well done to nice. stick to it. As well. Yes. Uh, so we're we're gonna go with the guy who still is holds the record on this list, not just beating Dibble, but being the fastest. That is Chapman. Let's go back to July nineteenth, two thousand fifteen, for number five hundred. They all pitch in a three-three game. And Chapman has just become the fastest pitcher in Major League history to reach 500 strikeouts. He does so in his first 292 Major League innings. More importantly, he gets out of a bases loaded jam. So it was a meaningful strikeout wow. as well. And, and as he said, that was a little different. He also owns the record for batters, but for innings pitched also. Wow, 292, yeah. 500 strikeouts. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that, that, that pitch was 112 miles an hour, if I remember right. <laughs> he, he could use that one right about now, by yeah. the way. <laughs> but, uh, all right. You know, as I seem to say every week, Tim's uh, play-by-play moment is the highlight of this segment. In those rare cases uh, where we get it right, like today, we get to bask in our correctness. <laughs> When we get it wrong, like we usually do, it allows people to forget what knuckleheads we are. So, victory, <laughs> anyway, yes, Mr. Yeah, Mr. Mayor, thank you, and Paul, thanks for joining us here in Starkville. And a great yeah. question. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, and thanks for uh, letting Griffin be an audience. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Yeah, good work, Griffin. Thanks, Griffin. Strange but true. Doug, every week before we go, we delve into the strange but true stuff that happens in baseball every week. So let's start with something very strange and very true (laughs) that happened last Wednesday. That afternoon in Milwaukee, you remember this, pal, the Cubs took a 7-0 lead in the top of the first inning. So what could possibly go wrong except they're the Cubs? So by the fourth inning... This happened. Adamas in the air, right center. Ball's hit well. Marisnik on the run. And it is up and out. It's a grand slam. The first of the year for the Brewers. And this ballpark is lit up. 
An eight-run <laughs> inning. It is 14 to 7. Oof. What a call by Brian Anderson. Now we got to get him in, in the start for one of these weeks. But anyway, by if they were leading by seven in the first inning and trailing by seven in the fourth inning. And how many other teams since 1901 have ever done that, Doug? Zero. Zero is correct. Uh, you were doing the uh, Cubs postgame show on Marquee uh, yes. that day. How'd that go? Ooh, it was... Um sort of like a tornado of change. That's what it felt like. Like, wow, this team's looking good. They're bouncing back. And then you looked up and you were a touchdown behind uh, in Cubs land. So, yeah, it was it was pretty shocking. But, you know, Adamus, since he's been at the Brewers, has just been, I don't know what happened, why he was such a consequential acquisition, but it's worked out really well. And they rattled off that, what, 11 in a row and, they're actually scoring now, which is something that they've struggled with all year. Uh, yet another thing is add the fact that they were like 29th or 30th in Major League Baseball and batting average. I think they were last. <laughs> so, yeah, it was uh, quite a tale of two cities. <laughs> right. And here's what's here's why we're even talking about this, because that wasn't even the strange but true part of this day, because that night at Yankee Stadium, you remember this well, our man Shohei Otani goes out to pitch at Yankee Stadium for the first time ever and gives up seven <laughs> runs to the Yankees in the first inning. And then what happened? The Yankees also <laughs> lost. So here is the incredible stat on this. Uh, I, I pared down some Elias Sports Bureau stuff to come up with this, okay? In the modern history of baseball, so that is from 1900 through Tuesday, the day before this, Teams that scored seven runs or more in the first inning went 6-0-8 and 25. <laughs> 6-0-8 and 25. But what was the record of teams that did that Wednesday, Doug? 0-2. 0-2. So how amazing is baseball? Uh, teams that had done that in history won the game 90%. 96% of the time. And then on this day, they won 0% of the time. That is unreal. Uh, all right, let's do one more. Uh, I know we've mentioned this guy a, f a few billion times before on this show, but I just can't comprehend Yasmani Grandal season for the White Sox. I can't do it. Um, and I, I came up with one the other day. This might be his strangest but truest stat of all. All right, so I looked at everybody in the American League with 200 plate appearances. And on the 4th of July, Cedric Mullins of the Orioles had the most hits in the American League. And Yasmani Grandal, of course, had the fewest hits because he's batting 190. All right, now, here he comes. On base percentage of Cedric Mullins, the guy with the most hits is 385. But the on-base percentage of Yasmani Grandal, the guy with the fewest hits, is 388. <laughs> so the, the the man with the fewest hits in the league has a higher on-base percentage than the man with the most hits in the league. <laughs> this isn't possible, <laughs> is it? I don't care how many times you walk. Uh, it, it just seems impossible. I mean, even in... A time where, you know, we understand on-base percentage. and But to try to do that, I mean, 
Like, I mean, he's always had a good eye. He's been a disciplined hitter for sure. And he's struggled with his average. He's had these big pockets of hitting like 100. But wow, just to do it over, like, is he literally going to have a season where he hits under 200 and has like 125 walks? I mean, I, and, and like, and what is what do we say about it? Is he productive? I, I guess. Yeah. But yeah. I need, all right. I need you to help me. Yeah. Like, this, okay. Um, like people were talking about all star snubs on Sunday, and there were a lot of complaints that he didn't make the all star <laughs> team, and he's hitting one ninety. But the weighted runs created plus, like all the other data, is incredible. So, all right, explain this to me. Is he having the greatest bad year ever or the worst good year ever? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> uh, I guess by today's standards, it's it's like the greatest bad year. Uh, I, I I guess maybe that's more my my uh, historic bias of thinking of like batting average should matter, like your ability to put the ball in play and actually find holes. Like I don't know, and and isn't it if you're, I would take a hit over a walk if I had equal. You would for sure. I know you would. Right now, is, am I wrong? And like, the, the, wouldn't most people want a hit over a walk? Not even just as a. If there's someone on second base, why would I want to walk when I can drive him in? I don't. I don't understand. Yeah, like, like he's he's very productive in his own unique way. He scores. It matters to get on base. Sure. Like the the number of times on base is important, especially when you're in a good lineup. You know, it does generate productivity. Sure. But hits are better than walks. You are correct yeah. about that. It's the it's the modus 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 operandi that you live by your whole career. Yeah, hits are better than walks. Yeah. so you're right. You I mean, Zunino, uh, all-star also, hitting 205. And, you know, and I was talking to Tim Kirchin, and I was like, well, how many hitters are there that are still getting starting opportunities that are hitting like 160, 170, 180, under 200? And like, well, look, I know back in the day, if you hit 190 by the break, there's you're like, you're in double A somewhere. Like, you're nowhere near the major leagues. So I, I'm just sort of marveling at that and also understanding that in the top 10 and hitting in the national league where Juan Soto is like ninth, he's hitting 278. I mean, there's only six or so guys hitting over 300, uh, at this time. So it's, so it's, it's definitely hard to hit and the national league pitching is completely dominant right now. <laughs> that is true. Uh, so the Doug Glanville ruling on this is hits are better than yes. walks. It's now official. Yes. Hits are better. Not that this, yes. Not 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 that this was something we didn't expect. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> All right, that's gonna do it for another fun edition of Starkville. You can find us every Tuesday right here in our new home as part of the Athletic Baseball Show. Every Monday, it's Ken Rosenthal's Mailbag. Thursdays, Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby. Fridays, Keith Law and Derek Van Riper. Get your draft preview from Keith this week. All these shows are great, so please check them out. Also, the Athletic Baseball Show is available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. We'd love it if you would subscribe. And if you like what you hear, feel free to give us one of those five-star ratings. One more thing, if you'd like to read our work, or any of the incredible writing on our site. There's no better sports writing being done anywhere than in The Athletic. So if you thought about subscribing, we are still offering a fantastic special. Just go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. You can subscribe for just $3.99 a month. 
So check us out. Also remember, you too can be part of this podcast. Every week we invite a listener who submits a great trivia question to join us right here on the podcast and prove most weeks there's almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong. To do that, you can either email us a question at starkville@theathletic.com, or do what most people do, fire those questions at us on Twitter. To locate Doug Glanville, how would someone do that? Well, you just use my name, at Doug Glanville, D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. You can find me at Jason St. That's Jason with a Y, S-T. Please remember to hashtag those questions. Hashtag QS. So, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Ken Rosenthal and Eno Saras for visiting us. Thanks to Paul McCord for the fun trivia question. Thanks to our mayor, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Coming up Thursday on the Athletic Baseball Show, it's Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby. Doug and I will see you next week on Starkville. Starkville.